Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Can I just say how impressed I am at how you have reset your mood? There was a, a builder a few doors down hammering and, and you got yourself into uh, c- quite the fury. I left mm-hmm. you to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the strains of have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone from the musical <laughs> Gypsy coming upstairs. Uh-huh. And, and that seems to have reset you. Have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone. Have a napkin, have a chopstick, have a chair. Have a spare rib, Mr. Goldstone. Any spare rib that I can spare, I'd be glad to share. It's right in my range, okay? <laughs> All right, we're very excited about our guests on this episode. Fisher Stevens. Now, Fisher Stevens has directed the documentary Beckham, which we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. In fact, the documentary that everyone's talking about at the moment. Mm-hmm. It was so good. But perhaps even more excitingly than that, there is a special place in our hearts for him. And I think many listeners to this podcast, because he was Hugo Baker in succession. Slimy Hugo Baker. Also, you know what I was just thinking in the not that we're going to ask him about this, but in the 80s he dated Michelle Pfeiffer. Like you're going to talk what, to someone. Why would you bring that up? He he has been happily married for many years to a woman who isn't Michelle Pfeiffer. How well, would you like it if people <laughs> went on about your ex-boyfriend Fred Paracci? Oh, I'd be honored. He's a surgeon. <laughs> My first boyfriend is a surgeon now. Can you even believe that shit? A fucking trauma surgeon. I must be such a disappointment to your mother especially. It is just true that she would have been happier if I was with a doctor. Maybe I could retrain. I don't think you'd be a very good doctor. You First of all, you got your gimp hand now for the rest of your life. That You can't be doing anything fine motor skills anymore. We've taken quite the detour away from our excitement about having Fisher Stevens on the podcast as a guest, I would say. Yeah, but I have not forgotten it. Like, I'm holding that excitement in my heart. We're not, by the way, we're also, we're not allowed to talk about succession because of the actor strike and we don't want to make a scab of anyone. So no. we are here. We can't say the word succession or mention any acting stuff. This is just about the direction of... Beckham. I'm two degrees away from David B. Quick watch. All right. So if you are a Patreon supporter, you will have heard in our extended interview with Chris Addison, he did some waxing on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now, I hated Mrs. Maisel so much, the one and a half episodes that we watched years ago. But Chris was so so effusive about it that I thought, let's give it a go. I, over the course of this week, have watched four episodes. I hate it so much. I feel like it's almost a personal attack on my system. So Mrs. Maisel 
is she's, she's a housewife. A, she's a newlywed. She's a newlywed. And she's a funny person socially. And then what she decides to give stand up a try. Her husband is very into stand up. And then this one night she goes on the stage and the person who manages that club says, you got it. I remember when we tried this show the first time round, there was a moment that you thought was so bad that you bailed instantly. Yeah, yeah. that was at the end of the first episode. And it's Lenny Bruce. She winds up getting arrested because she's just so wild and true and and herself on stage. And she shows her tits. (sighs) Great. And who does she meet in prison? But Lenny Bruce. Okay. And they're like talking. And then she says at the end, dumb, do you love it? And then he says some version of like, do I love it? Do, do I love uh, that I got to travel? Do I love uh, the cops? Or do I love, you know, and then, then there's a glimmer in his eye. And she goes, but do you love it? Again, I really feel my <laughs> acting is as good as what you fucking see in this fucking show. I'm not saying that Rachel Bronahan isn't capable of more than I am. I'm just saying I think I am delivering the level of acting that is shown in that mm-hmm. show. And then he gives her what I will describe as a wry smile and walks out that door. And you're not just triggered by that moment because Lenny Bruce was a family friend. So I've heard Lenny Bruce mentioned in my family, like maybe my grandfather was Lenny Bruce's doctor, but I've never really understood the story. My mother emailed me with an explanation of of exactly what it was that had happened involving Lenny Bruce and and my uh, grandpa. This is it. He was like a GP in Chicago. Once upon a time, a long time ago, Lenny Bruce was performing at Mr. Kelly's, a big popular nightclub in Chicago. He was a big addict. (laughs) Something happened and he got sick, but maybe it was just that he needed a fix. It was dark. I was probably too young at the time to be told the truth. Anywho, someone gave him the name of Dr. Handelman. Your grandpa. My grandfather, Dr. Handelman. A doctor helping young men avoid the draft. So now we're a pack of heroes, you understand? (laughs) Now we're a family of heroes. That's what's being said to me. Uh, Okay. Lenny Bruce went to see him and got whatever he needed if he was sick, but also got something else. Maybe speed or something so he could get through the performance? This sounds to me like my grandfather gave drugs, like like real actual fucking bad drugs, to someone just because they were famous. Yeah, he was a Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, like someone who's like, different rules for you, man, because you're famous. Because <laughs> then, listen, in return, Grandpa got two free tickets to the show and a tape of the show, which is somewhere in my closet, and I will bring it to see if Jeff can find a way to listen to it. That sounds like it'll be a lot of fun for you. <laughs> so anyway, this was shocking to me because I was like, there's a, so many twists and turns here. So number one, it's like, your grandfather was a hero. He was just protesting. They were very liberal, even in the whatever. And then being like, wait a second, he just gave drugs to a famous dude. So that is my family connection to Lenny Bruce, as it turns out. Wow. Why didn't they hire us as consultants on this show? So anyway, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Hated it. <laughs> it was terrible. I hated it. Oh my God, it's horrendous. Now, I had a really difficult time deciding what to watch on my own this week. Mm-hmm. So I asked Twitter. Yes. And somebody mentioned Bodies, which I'd read a couple of reviews of. It's the new Stephen Graham drama. Oh, no, no, no. And I thought, yeah, I'm up for a bit of emotional trauma. Uh-huh. But that's not what it delivered, at least not so far. Okay, so what's the premise? So we meet seemingly our lead, who is a cop. And she is assigned to be part of a squad that is policing 
a far-right rally on the streets of East London in Whitechapel. Uh And in the course of this, she pursues a suspect and finds him in an alleyway standing over a naked, dead body. Do you see the the penis? It's obscured from view. He's not doing that thing where you tuck it between your legs and uh-huh. pretend you got a vagina, but uh-huh. but it's it's not in shot. Okay, I was just sort of curious about like how much full male frontal nudity we're doing these days. And do you count corpse nudity in that? Yes, I would count corpse nudity in okay. that. So, so you think you've got a sense of what this show is, right? Yeah. Only you haven't. I don't. Because in no time, we're, we're flashing back in time. It is wartime, same part of London. And a detective discovers the same thing on the same spot. Uh-huh. But that's not all. Uh-huh. Not long afterwards, we are in Victorian times. Oh, Jesus. A Dickensian detective. This is stupid. Same again. You're not even intrigued. I'm not initially interested. I thought there'd be this great moment where I hit you with the twist. But I can already tell it's going to land poorly with you. Okay, go on, though. It's the same body. They're, they're keeping this body preserved to a similar level. Or does it look more rotten in modern day than no, it did no, in Dickensian no. times? No, no, no. It's appearing at three different points in time. Oh. It's adapted from a very well thought of graphic novel. Oh, I never like a graphic novel. I'm it's, just into words. <laughs> Anytime I've ever referred to my own relationship to like visual things or pictures or camera, I, you know, I will always say like, oh, I'm not that visual. And it's because I just want someone to be like, well, no, you're like a word person. <laughs> um. The part of East London it's set is is Whitechapel. Not my favourite part of the city, I'll be honest. Which is famous for? The hospital. Jack the Ripper. Oh, well, there we go. On any given day, there are all these Jack the Ripper tours happening there. I always find that very bizarre. Hey, guys, we're in London. Ooh, I know. Let's go look at some places where ladies' bodies were torn apart. Like, isn't that a bizarre way to spend your holiday? Yes, and I feel like if you said that to people in the past, they'd just think, oh, what's the point? We might as well all become rippers if he's the one who's going to be remembered. I would like to urge people away from commodifying those deaths. Go on the London Eye. (laughs) Go to Abba Voyage. Well, to be absolutely honest, I, I almost feel like I'm talking about this show too soon because I think one episode isn't enough. Okay. But it was enough to make me think, oh, there's more going on here. You know how you're better than I am? I get so instantly attacked by shows and you do a much better job than I do of staying open. And I admire that, honey. I think maybe I'm just excited to see Stephen Graham in something that doesn't look like he's going to emotionally ravage me in the way that he usually does. Like you'd like to be able to enjoy his acting without wanting to kill yourself. I mean, I don't think I'm going to see him doing pratfalls and tomfoolery. But I just like something a little, a little easy. Not dumb, just easier. We'd love to hear from you. By the time this comes out, people might have a few episodes of bodies under their belt and be able to tell me whether it's worth sticking with or not. Yes, that would be good for you to know. Also, an idea that I had, but I haven't had time to talk to you about it yet, Mm. is next week's episode will be leading up to Halloween. What if we just watch Halloween-y things? I love seasonally appropriate watches. And I think it'd be good to ask for recommendations. There are a few things knocking about at the moment. Um, There's that fall of the House of Usher. (laughs) No? I've read a couple things. I think it might be a complete shit pile. Oh, I I thought I'd seen a couple of good reviews. It's um, based on the writing of Edgar Allan Poe, who people will know from um, the the Simpsons episodes that he wrote. (sighs) Also, one of the things which was recommended to me on Twitter was Uncanny, the BBC podcast about ghosts. 
people telling real life stories of their experiences with ghosts to host Danny Robbins. They, they've now um, done a TV version of that. And is it supposed to be good? I don't know, but I like Danny. Yeah, that sounds a little more up my street. My friends this weekend are going... Um, ghost hunting. Ghost hunting. Hasn't one of the people in question had a supernatural experience? Yeah, 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 yeah. Her dead dog visited her. She woke up. I mean, oh. I'm, I'm trying to get the details right, mm-hmm. but um, she woke up. Her dog had died and she woke up and the ghost of the dog was left was on her chest. It wasn't the corpse of the dog and no, no, died no. that recently. It wasn't like it wasn't actually the dead dog corpse. It was the ghost of the dog was on her chest, letting her know it was okay. How was it communicating that? You got to get her to tell you the story. But that's all I remember is that her dead dog was on her chest in ghost format. If if I wanted to let somebody know everything was okay, I'm not sure I'd go and sit on their chest. If you were a dog, though, you would. You think? Yes. Anyway, spooky recommendations. Please send them all to us. I want to have a good final week of October. The email address is fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. You ready to do the podcast equivalent of panhandling? Yes. Let me get, um, maybe I have a prop. Wait. Shake, shake, shake. Shake, shake, shake. Coins against metal. I'm sorry to bother you. But we are but a family of three. No, but we are but a family of three. In Old Stoke, Newington Way. Round Old Stoke, Newington Way. We need a little extra money. I'm sorry I've got no cash on me. No, sir, please. Look, i got a card machine. You can tap in £3 a month, sir, please. I, I have to be somewhere. I have a very expensive mortgage, sir, please. It's doubling. You're in charge of the Patreon. Yes. So you have a clearer idea of this than I do. Yes. I'm wondering about the effectiveness of begging. Oh, my God. You're so wrong with this. Versus, versus no, no. people be a part of something. It's no. nice to feel Fine. like you're part First of something. First of all, you're actually wrong because what people like is candor. It's what they like. Okay. So people want to know what the fuck I'm going to do with their money. I'm going to get my roots done. I want a new potted plant <laughs> for the front of my house to replace the huge pumpkin when it goes. Join that Patreon Three pounds a month, fuckers. It means everything. I know you're not joiners because you're like cool kids. That's why you like this podcast. I get it. But give me my hit that I need. And coming up later, so excited to talk to Fisher Stevens. He seems very well liked amongst his peers. This is this is something I got a sense of during all those succession interviews and then subsequently in my Googlings. Basically, my um chasing of him and getting him. Um, he made me feel like what what a pleasure this is for him. Beloved by actors of the stage and screen. And I thought this Beckham documentary was a, a passion project. I didn't realise he is an esteemed documentarian and, and he's made several acclaimed documentaries of which this is the latest. Beloved by the Beckhams as well. Fisher Stevens is our guest later. <laughs> Okay, we watched this thing, The Greatest Show Never Made, which is a three-part documentary on Amazon Prime Video. It's a group of people who signed up for a British reality TV show 20 years ago. They gave up their jobs, they moved out of their homes on the promise of winning £100,000. And if I'm not mistaken, this was like around the time that Big Brother was like this massive cultural phenomenon and so it felt like not only were you going to get a hundred thousand dollars but you were going to get 
fame and everything that comes with it. Only. Plot twist. It wasn't a real TV show. It was just some guy with an idea for a TV show. And he adopted a, if you build it, they will come mentality. Right. So it's a bunch of people who who think they're on a reality show, but aren't. And then who is this mysterious and enigmatic figure? Who is willing to like fuck these innocent people out of their lives. And we enter the story. Well, the first thing I want to say about this is I thought it was excellent. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's an extraordinary story. Yes. And we meet these people 20 years on, reflecting on this very peculiar episode of their lives. And I think because the footage isn't very good, because it wasn't a real TV show, they've really thrown a lot at it stylistically to make sure you're visually engaged. Yes, they do these reenactments that are very bad. As part of the reenactments, they get these present-day people to dress up as themselves as they were in the 90s. It felt insane, right? It did, but you do get the impression these people are having fun. (laughs) Yes, yeah, they seemed a little bit in on knowing it was insane, but didn't quite pass over into working for me. It's like having been humiliated by a pretend TV producer. Now some real ones are saying, hey, Mutton, would you mind dressing up in this lamb costume? (laughs) I think all the contestants are pretty likeable. Yes, I think that's that's exactly it. There's this one guy who's worked as a professional clown. Yeah, that's always hard. Well, you've got personal experience of him. One of my, shall I say, formative romantic experiences (laughs) was... I did a summer program when I was still in high school at Barnard College for Women. So I was in New York City for a month. When you say college for women, it evokes Cheltenham Ladies College, like you're learning deportment, putting books on your head and how to pronounce things from elocution. It was much filthier than that. Um, I met a beau. Okay, I met this beau and we knocked around that summer. It was great and it was fun. And then I missed him so bad when I had to go back to Chicago. Okay. So that was that, the end. Years later, I'd be like, what the fuck happened to that guy? It's I'm not going to say the name, but it's so basic as a name. It was like John Smith, basically. And I could never find anything up, out about him because the name was so generic. So maybe like six years later, <laughs> I'm living in New York and I'm dating a whole new fellow. And I like, I'm done with my, my waitress shift and I'm walking with this guy. We're like waiting for the subway. And there's a guy in a clown nose. And he comes up to us and he sort of starts talking to us. And uh, this in, in clown speak. In um, what does clown speak to you? I don't know, but was he doing shtick or was he striking up a conversation? He was doing shtick, but it wasn't like miming. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like uh, Marcel Marceau. It was not that, or it wasn't like <laughs> it a, wasn't in a glass box. <laughs> he wasn't in a glass box. He didn't have props. He was just he was doing some kind of shtick, but the only prop was this with his clown nose on him. So as I'm looking at him. I'm like, wait a second. I know you. You're John Smith. And he's like, no, I'm not a Mr. Clown. I was like, don't mess with me. This is bizarre. You're John Smith. He was like, nope, I'm Mr. Clown. I'm Mr. Clown. And I was like, right, sorry, we've got to go. And he's like, all right, well, anyway, I guess I don't know you, Sarah. Bye. The doors close. The train (gasps) takes off. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) And I start Googling and I'm able to find that he's doing a show. So a couple of weeks later, I go to some, you know, off, 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 off Broadway thing that's like clowning shit. I was outside and he came over and I was like, just say it. Say that you're that guy. And that's how he's like, Mr. Clown. 
it seemed that he'd had a mental breakdown. And I always wondered what had happened to him to make him break. And I'd always felt sad about it because like some of the most fun nights of my life, just being this 17-year-old kid knocking around with a 19-year-old boy in Brooklyn, it was like the most glamorous thing that had ever happened to me. When you say some of the most fun nights of your life, like for, for example, was he wearing a flower that he asked you to sniff and squirt you with water? No. Do you remember anything unusual about his feet? <laughs> Would he ever drive you in his tiny little car? He was an acting major <laughs> when I met him. Major. No, okay. his dreams had not died. He was 19 and his dreams were alive. And actually, we can link that story back to the greatest show never made, not just because there was a contestant who'd previously been a clown, but because the Svengali, the fraudster at the centre of all mm -hmm. this, is somebody who had and has changed his name many times throughout his life. So when these people knew him... He was called Nikita Russian. What a lunatic. <laughs> but in actual fact, they talked to his childhood best friend and he was really called Keith. But then they got somebody to track him down. That's part of the story of this documentary. <laughs> I think that lady... She was a character. <laughs> she was a character. I liked her. Me too. Very confident. But I think the work of tracking him down, she maybe overplayed her hand a little bit. She might have done. She is uh, in that group of people that would not be allowed on American TV, but is very welcome on UK TV. <laughs> so anyway, his current name now is... N. Quentin Wolf. I hated him. Oh, here's my pitch to the networks. Crossover. I want Orna Goralnik from Couples Therapy doing some analysis on N. Quentin Wolf or whatever, because I want to know if he's a narcissist, like clinically a narcissist. I do think in the few bits and pieces I've read about it, people are a bit more sympathetic towards him than we are. Really? I, th I think people find him quite charismatic, especially where, when he was younger, whereas I think he sort of had the Heir of a, an enfant terrible magician. I thought he seemed like a sulky guy and seems like a narcissist. Like he seems like someone who hurts people. But his story from that is, here's what happened to me. Yes, it's hard to tell whether he is sorry for what he put those people through or whether he's sorry that everything crumbled around him. But I think genuinely, I mean, he is just filled to the brim with poor me. Something I really liked about these contestants is most of them didn't seem like the sort of people you'd see on reality TV. Oh, that's interesting. Reality TV, with every passing season of a show, the characters get more extreme and more grotesque. Mm -hmm. And we're right at the birth of it here. Mm -hmm. So they just seem like somewhat normal people, uh, one of whom wants to be a TV presenter, but ultimately uh, seems quite nice I and see. not very grating. Yes, I think that's right. Have you ever applied for any kind of reality TV? Or no. I remember trying to be a pro actor. So I would I would buy Backstage Magazine every week and, and have to go to, all the way to the back for the non-equity jobs. So you were very similar to the contestants. Yes, the I really... Who, I, who saw this advert in the stage, some of them, didn't Completely, they? exactly. So just like looking for opportunities. And it was like an infomercial for paint remover. Looking for actors, unpaid, but we'll strip your furniture. I was like, everyone has to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and um, they they hired me to perform in an infomercial for paint remover, which was performed as we sit in this loft. 
It was on that. They they stripped the paint off of that object. That chest of drawers. That is a chest of drawers that was like at my great grandmother's Michigan something or other. And uh, they made it look like a brand new piece of furniture. But I can remember they didn't clean up after themselves. So there was like all this stripped paint on my floor. And I kept not having the time to clean it up. And I remember a couple of visitors in my bedroom being like, what's up with your floor? I was like, ignore the floor. I think this is a show that if you find yourself with an unexpected night in and you're thinking, what should we watch? This this is the thing for you. I thought that the way that the show was brought in for a landing was extremely beautiful. Yes. Did you have that yes, similar experience? Yes, it did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I recommend it. ADP. Watch it, watch it. Have you watched The Greatest Show Never Made? Do your opinions on any of the people involved differ to ours? Yes. Did you like Keith the Wolfman or whatever? Did Wolfman you feel Wolf, Wolfman Keith? Did he appeal to you? You can email us at fuckoff at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, talking about his documentary Beckham, which is on Netflix now, we are thrilled to be joined by Fisher Stevens. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today we are speaking to you from my hometown of Highland Park, Illinois, which I believe, are you yes. are you a Highland Park High School alum as well yourself? No. No, I actually left in fourth grade. Uh, I only lived there from kindergarten to fourth so where, grade. What, where were you in school from kindergarten to fourth grade? Brayside. I can tell that you're not quite as excited by this as I am, but I am a Ravinia School elementary school student myself. So this is very exciting for me. Yeah, I didn't even know Ravinia. I forgot that even had a school. I just know it has a great music venue. Oh, it does. A very good music venue. Yeah. Do you come back here as an adult to visit ever? Uh, no, not Highland Park. But it, it was idyllic when I was a kid. It was probably the most idyllic part of my childhood. Um now, you became a late-in-life football fan or soccer fan for U.S. listeners. Yeah. The age of 40, right? Uh, Yeah, I would say, God, 2003. Yeah, I'd say 39, maybe, yeah. 
I went to my first uh, Premier League game at Stamford Bridge because I was producing um, a film about American soccer called Once in a Lifetime when Pele Beckenbauer and Giorgio Canaglia and Alberto Carlos played for the New York Cosmos. So that got me into it. Not only football, but documentaries. And up until that point, if somebody had mentioned soccer to you, would you have just shrugged and been like, yeah, who cares? Yeah, like you said, this is 2003, I think. And um, once I went and sat in a football stadium in England, in London, and experienced it, and I saw this guy from the Ivory Coast kicking the ball and playing with all these British guys on the same team, DDA Drogbaum speaking about, and I watched the beauty and the magnificence of him and the fact that he seemed to be on the same wavelength as John Terry and Frank Lampard, who were Brits, you know, and the fact that they all played so beautifully together as a unit. I was like, this is amazing. And then the stands and to be in the stands and listen to the crowds and the passion and the love and, and the, the, the scarves and the blue. And it was just like, wow. Um, this is incredible. I loved it. And is that different? Because like, I've never been to a ball game or an American football game. Is it this whole other thing? Well, I have to be honest. The one difference is the way they sing, right? So the singing, we don't sing. The singing's incredible. There was something about being swept away in the passion of it. I mean, it's fierce. People screaming at each other. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. Also, something about the beautiful game of football and not stopping for commercials, and it just keeps going. I don't know. I loved it. I just fell in love with it. And you became a Liverpool fan, which is funny to me, the idea of someone, as they're approaching middle age, picking a team and forming an allegiance, because these things are usually so tribal and formed in childhood. Well, that was a different rich reason. So my one of my the guy that started my film company with me, Mike Gordon, um, became quite wealthy and successful. And then he... Uh, bought Liverpool with his group, Fenway Sports Group, and he he ran Liverpool, became the president of it, and now I'm just, you know, I don't miss a game. But it is the one team that David Beckham loathes. Loathes. So how early in the conversation did you bring up your devotion? Right away. <laughs> I said, dude, you know, I'm just letting you know I, I can't stand Man United, and I love Liverpool. And how did he respond to that? He laughed. And then David... David's son, Cruz, uh, who I love, is his youngest son. You know, just same thing. Like, I can't, dad says you like Liverpool. What's wrong with you? Like, abuse. <clears throat> yeah, but who's laughing now? That's all I want to say. Fair. So David Beckham handpicked you to, to do this documentary. Is it like a, an audition process? Are you sort of meeting with him? Are you trying to convince him that you're the one for the job? No, he... I think he was more trying to convince me because I, I didn't know anything about him. Um, and he, I got a call that, you know, actually from DiCaprio's office because Leo and him were hanging out and he suggest Leo suggested me for the job. And then um, I was like, ah, David Beckham, I didn't know about him. And, and um, I was going to work. You know, and I talked to Jesse Armstrong and Tony Roach on the set of my show, and they were British because we spoke about football all the time. Like, Jesse's a Man United fan, Tony's a Liverpool fan, and Jesse likes Fulham, but is Fulham season ticket holder, but loves Man United too. Anyway, they were the ones to say, like, David Beckham was a brilliant player. And I was, really? 
no, Fisher, he's a brilliant player and he's a he's an interesting. His life is fascinating. You got to look into it. And then I started looking into it. And yes. And then I had a Zoom with David, but you can't kind of take a big job like this unless you meet someone in person. I think he wanted to meet me too in person. And it was after we met in person in that dinner. I had dinner with him and his wife and I was convinced. So where did you guys, where did you go for dinner? Well, I was filming in Italy uh, a season of our show, the end finale of season three. And um, I, I flew to London to meet with them and they, it was Harry's Bar restaurant. And I, I had, I remember I, I didn't travel wearing a, a jacket or a tie or anything. I remember I had to buy one because- the restaurant needed a jacket. His people are like, you have to wear a jacket. So I had to go to oh. get a jacket in Italy, an ill-sitting kind of sh- <laughs> I mean, but yeah. And, and at dinner with David and Victoria, I was like, this is going to be good. They're they're interesting. Their body language, their chemistry, the, the whole vibe at dinner. I was like, this, is a, this could be great. So there was something about spending time with them socially that convinced you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could tell on the Zoom, but there's nothing like, you know, when you take a job like this, um, and I knew David would be, uh, I'd need a lot of time interviewing him because he's not the most, he's not used to sitting and talking about himself for more than like a couple, 30 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. Fam- famously, and this is something that comes up in the documentary, and you end up sitting down for something like 30 hours. More, I read. more. Yeah. Well, like 40 Plus, wow. Yeah. yeah. And what are your tricks for being charming? So if he is somebody who needs coaxing out of his shell, how do you go about doing that? Well, you want to make your subjects feel completely relaxed and feel like they can say anything and it's a safe space, which is why I tried to have continuity with my crew so David got to know them, which is very important, I think, so the subject feels comfortable. Let me ask you, how often is it the case that you can tell something about someone you're interviewing by how interested they are in the crew and learning the names? Well, the thing about David is he's a little bit different than most people because he he's very aware and very present in the moment and really like, I don't know, with people. So I knew for him it's important. I wouldn't say that it's always like that. But like when we did Before the Flood with Leo DiCaprio, like you, he's the same. Like Leo really likes to feel familiar with, with people, it makes them feel safe. But by the way, I'm the same way. Like I love when I know the crew and I feel comfortable around them. It even helps you with my acting, you know, on the sets and, you know, but um, it's not like that for everyone. So I always love, I'm a sucker for this. Any documentary where you see somebody watching footage of themselves in their younger glory days and and then watching the reaction on their face. And I genuinely think this was the best version of that I've ever seen because you got in so close and you kind of layered the footage on the face without it being distracting. Tell us a bit about that. Well, that originally was because David is so curated uh, as a subject and... When you see him, he's always kind of angled or shot. And I wanted to dirty him up. And then I had this idea, the best, most vulnerable way to make David would be to have him just looking straight ahead, not worried about how he looks, but putting his attention on him playing. 
And I thought we could capture these incredibly vulnerable, real moments. And I wanted to do it with the others too, obviously. But but the original idea was because I wanted David's vulnerability. And I thought this is the best way to get at it. And then you see it with Cantona. You can see it with, with all the players. They forget you're shooting them. They're just I'm completely into watching what's on screen. I could just watch their faces move all day long. It's beautiful. Oh, thanks. If you were trying to get, if you're struggling to get a guest, like for example, Alex Ferguson, could you ever go to David and say, look, use your in, talk to this guy? Or is that sort of like ethical? Oh, yeah. you, you would do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, we got like, to be honest, like Roberto Carlos and Ronaldo, that was David texting them. Also, David wanted to ask people. Mm -hmm. So he knew that we were legit. We are very much not sports people. And I I started watching Beckham and I said to Jeff, like, you don't understand what you're in for. This is like so good, even if you're not into sports. My intention from the jump was make this for people that know nothing about football, don't like sport necessarily. That's the exciting thing about doing a film about David is that he transcends mm -hmm, sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, actually, because... I am not a football fan. I am almost belligerent in the way that I resist football because it's so ubiquitous in British culture. Yeah. But I was surprised watching it, how familiar aspects of this story were to me and what a big part it is of modern British history. It is. And then seeing that vilification and thinking about how complicit you are in it. I mean, okay, I, I wasn't chanting abuse at David Beckham or posting hate mail, but I wasn't questioning the fact that the, the newspapers and the media and the public were doing that. You, you just kind of accept it and think, oh, I suppose this is what we do to footballers. And then looking back, it's horrendous. Do you think that is a particularly British thing? Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny, you know, even when you watch games today and players like Zuma, I don't know, Zuma kicked a cat or something, or every time he touches the ball, they boo him. Or players who leave one team and come back to visit, they, they're booed for years year after just for leaving their team every time they touch the ball i mean i i'd boo zuma for kicking a cat but you don't have to boo him for five years what do you think that says about our national character fisher listen i don't know man but if i could i'd li i'd love to move to london for a while i, I love london so i don't know I, I look it's you guys look look at the press man the press are brutal i mean this one this one reporter in London wrote stuff about me after this thing. I, I mean, she called me a M MF. This woman from the London Times. Well, Fisher, what did you do to deserve that? Is my question. <laughs> I don't know. She was. She was. She was like, "How dare you? I make this film on David. But who am I? And why did I? I mean, it was unbelievable. I was like, I got a little taste myself. Are you? If you if yeah. you feel that way, like uh, terrible press aside, I look at your life and I go, Fisher Stevens can do whatever he wants. Like if you want to just move to London, you can just move to London. Why isn't it that easy? Well, no, I have uh, I have young kids in school. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, One of these dads yeah. who has to be near his children. All right. <laughs> no, works. I mean, they they go to a great school in Brooklyn. They're very happy. Okay, prioritizing um, consistency for his kids. Come on, Fisher. This is not how yeah. most people in your world do it. Get up to speed here, buddy. Well, yeah. Yes. I mean, my family would still say that. That's I know, how it is. But, I know. Um, but 
It's, uh, I think right now it's probably one of the greatest cities in the world. Well, maybe there's an opportunity in a, a, a theatrical tradition we have over here called pantomime. Pantomime? Oh, this is your next documentary. I'm feeling like if you're an Anglophile, come here for Christmas with the whole family and go to a panto and just see if it inspires you in your filmmaking. Okay. That's all. And, and then you'll be hooked. You'll get the bug and you'll want to play a pantomime dame. Um, and we can have Fisher Stevens, Mother Goose, Davenport Theatre Stockport 2024. I need an acting gig now, man. Yeah, seriously. I need it. I'm for I'm sure we could get a SAG waiver, so I'm I'm in. You should go for it. <laughs> um, was there anything that you didn't uh, like a favorite part of the footage that you had to cut? Well, yeah, there were a lot of things I had to cut because um I I, I wanted I could have done another episode. Um, I, I asked David about his Jewish roots, which was kind of interesting. And, you know, I talked a lot about, you know, David wanted to be knighted and how important it was for him. And I talked about his tattoos and I talked about everything, you know, Qatar, the controversy. But, you know, I couldn't just fit all the stuff in. Hold on. Would he have been comfortable with you? Like whatever you got out of him about the Qatar stuff, he would have been like, that was your choice to not include that. That wasn't him going, come on, can we like not get into the Qatar stuff in the documentary? Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Totally. Are you allowed to talk about what his rationale was? Yeah. Well, he's been he's been asked about it since the phone came out. His rationale was like he looks at soccer as a unifying force, not as a divider. And that. He felt like, I don't want to polarize people just because of the way their religion or their beliefs are. And those are their beliefs. I don't believe in their beliefs. My beliefs are very different. Look, if I could have spent even seven or eight minutes on Qatar and I could have done a section, I would have. He talked about it. It just didn't, it wasn't anything different than he'd been saying anyway. So it wasn't like, oh, this is new. I didn't know how to put it in the movie. Did you at least, though, get introduced to the work of Joe Lysett through researching this? I did. He's very good. He's very good. I mean, I said, well, David, you should have addressed Joe Lysett. And he said, yeah, I think he did do it. Finally, he did communicate with him. But Joe Lysett, yeah. Ahead of a day when you know you're going to be asking questions about something like Qatar or the affair, do you get anxious? Do you sleep well the night before? I mean, look, the... the, the it's not easy. I mean, Qatar, I didn't have any problems asking him about. And I told him I was going to ask him about it. It's fine. The, you know, the other stuff, more complex. But listen, he knew we were going to talk about everything. That was the condition of doing the film. What was interesting to me was how their marriage stayed together. That that That's all I cared about. Like, yeah. How did you guys go get through that? Yeah. But like, it's a love story. And part of the, to me, the movie was about David's love for football, love for his family. His family being his kids, his mom and dad, his love for Alex Ferguson, who was part of his family, and his love for his wife. And here the family unit is really still very strong. That was what was interesting to me. After all, you know, at that moment, how did you stay together? So, Did you eat anything he barbecued? Yeah, brilliant cook. Yeah. Oh, he's brilliant. I mean, everything was brilliant. He, he doesn't fuck around with anything. Like Everything is perfect, right? So even the way he cooked the chicken, the vegetables, the way he cooked those mussels. They were amazing. Everything was amazing. He's really, like, focused. You really get that in the film. Yeah, it made me think that he's been bred to be that focused, and it's always got to go somewhere, Yeah, and that's part of where it goes in his life. That and playing with Lego, yeah. which I know you're disappointed that you didn't get to show. I know. He's brilliant at Lego. 
Yes. Was there anything like being around someone who's that um, that focused and that diligent and that devoted to the pursuit of excellence that like you took into your own life? He's trying to ask Fisher if he's sorted his wardrobe out, if he's got organized in his closet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is your closet neater now because you were around a closet like that for that long? No. No. You're still just you. He didn't. He didn't get to infect you in a good way. I just cared about making. I just cared about making this film as good as I could. A pursuit of excellence, Fisher. That's there you I, go. That yeah. That that was my. That was, that was what I, Yeah. Um, we have to let you go now. But before we do, will you tell us what you're watching at the moment? Well, I'm an Oscar voter for documentary, so I'm watching a lot of the new doc. Seen anything good? Uh, well, I'm being a bit shameless, but uh. My my editor Beckham edited this great film about Michael J. Fox called Still, directed by Davis Guggenheim. It's pretty amazing. It's on Apple. Yeah, uh, it is a great film called Deepest Breath on Netflix. Really a film. Um, yes, I watched it. It was so disturbing yeah. and so good. And then um, I'm just started Sex Education. I think I'm on episode four. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, good. and uh, we've got you on a pencil for a pantomime, Mother Goose, 2024. Okay. Fisher Stevens. I didn't say the word succession. That's because we respect the workers. There is power in the union. There's power. Wait, I got to How do I? There is power in a factory. There is power. I don't think I'll. Anyway, there is power in a factory. Power in a man. Power in a string of workers. Pause. There is power in a union. We're in support of the actors' strike. What a shame there isn't a singer's strike. Are you ready for a rummage in the inbox? Halloween inbox. This is, this, this is very disturbing. Was it? I was trying to be spooky scary. That's next week. You could save, oh. it, save it for next week. Okay. That was, I, whatever vocal training you need to do that. It was, I've, I've not received that training. All right. Our first email this week comes from Anne Blake. Anne Blake just feels like a wholesome Midwestern name. You should be one of the women in the film Edward Scissorhands who lives in that little town. You know, with all their little cookie cutter houses. Are they a bit Stepford Wivesy, those, yeah. those women? Yeah, that's how I'm picturing Anne Blake. I hear it as a, a very solid name. Maybe she's a prosecutor. Anne Blake writes, Dear FC and NC, myself and my wife have a let's give this 10 minutes rule when watching a new film or TV show. We recently attempted to watch The Very Dreary Reptile. I don't know what that is. I do, and it has Justin Timberlake in it, which I'm not happy about. I'm not happy about this shit with him and Brittany and the abortion, okay? I support abortion, but I don't like Justin Timberlake. And he was not good with Janet Jackson when there was Nipplegate. He's so fucking pleased with himself. Every fucking thing Justin Timberlake does, he's like, can you believe it? I'm kind of good at hosting Saturday Night Live. Shut up, Justin. I loved the video Mother Lover that you did with that guy, Andy Samberg. That was funny. But you love yourself so What about so trolls? Much. What about trolls? He's too in love with himself. I'm not a fucking child. <laughs> I heard him on a podcast talking about like when these fucking people talk about like the way they keep their family together and like these cute rituals like cute backstage rituals that i've got with my kid your kid shouldn't be on the road with you asshole (laughs) you're a fucking millionaire stay at home and raise your child do you know how bad it is for a child to be doing that on of travel how bad is it 
I think if the kid is of school age, it's bad. I think if the kid is like preschool age, then it's probably fine. Okay. We recently attempted to watch The Very Dreary Reptile. One of its many issues with it was that it used a lazy trope that drives me mad. Justin Timberlake <laughs> has an argument with his girlfriend and despite living in a mansion, we see him traipse down the stairs with a pillow and duvet to sleep on the couch. Yes. Yes. And yes. So well spotted. I grew up the youngest of five in Ireland in the 80s, and my parents ensured we shared rooms so that there was always a spare room for guests. American homes in particular are larger than average, and the notion that people don't have at the very least one spare room and have to bunk on the couch is never believable for me. I think Anna's right about when you see these big houses on shows and then they're traipsing downstairs with the duvet and the pillow. But I think Anna's wrong that most people have a spare room. Do you see what he does, Anne? It's all this like, oh, you're a barrister. You're so amazing. Oh, I don't think Anne really understands the way the world works for normal people. (laughs) Who's right? Jeff or Anne? But this shouldn't be my opinion or Anne's opinion. We need data. Give us data. Regardless, the observation about the couch is Brilliant. 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 And then finishes by saying, I think it's been mentioned before, but a microphone giving feedback it happened in Mrs. Maisel to me the other day. It did. Um, when a nervous person steps up to it as a trope deserves a dishonorable mention that has been said before completely. Much love, Anne. We love you. This comes from Gemma, who says, Hi there, FCNNC. My favourite recommendation of yours so far has been, without a doubt, Mr. Inbetween. Mr. Inbetween was so good that everything I've watched since has been shit because it's not Mr. Inbetween. I just had to say it. We get it. We want to keep saying it. In terms of annoying TV tropes, and it's something else I've noticed after watching the latest series of Sex Education. There's a show that never comes up. I've got no idea whether it's good or not. I remember putting it on when people first started talking about it. And I felt like a dirty old man yeah. watching it. Yeah, we're, I, we put it on. I was like, this isn't for us. I shouldn't be watching teenagers have sex. I don't think. But maybe there's more to it than that. I don't know. We're not interested. Anyway, back to Gemma's email. She says, Lots of TV shows and films like to show families and couples having breakfast, pared back or elaborate, (laughs) where the orange juice is always in a decanter. Yes! Well, I haven't noticed this. Oh, she said it and I was like, oh my God, I've known that without knowing it my whole life. Do you mean a jug or do you mean a decanter not a decanter for a fine red wine okay but it's there'll be a glass jug you know oh, so you yes, can see yes, the bright yes, orange yes yes yeah uh she says this is probably something to do with brand stroke advertising i'd love to know if oj in a decanter is as common in real life as it is in the land of film and tv do you decant your orange juice let us and Gemma know i don't think anyone drinks orange juice anymore Sarah. What? Of course they do. Why is it in every supermarket? Hold on. You you think like a bunch of adults sit down and have a glass of orange juice? I've been at a hotel breakfast buffet. I see people drinking orange juice. Occasionally. But I'm not talking breakfast buffet where you're like, I might as well have some grapefruit juice. (laughs) 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 I'm talking about your ritual in your own home. Okay. Here's another write-in. Are you over the age of seven? (laughs) And do pour yourself a glass of juice in the AM. Gemma finishes by saying, I am only a recent listener. Yay! Yay! I found you post-succession via a podcast club WhatsApp group that I'm part of. That's nice. So shout out to the Northern Ireland Podcast Club if they're listening. We love you guys. And whoever is in that group who recommended us, thank you so much. Thank you, Gemma. 
Thank you, Gemma. Our final email this week. The Nepo Mommy Returns. <laughs> this is from my mother, Lynn Barron. She writes, Dearest podcast listeners, please join my child's Patreon at the highest level. I am begging you all. Frankly, I don't give a shit about Sarah's manicures or roots. What I care about is getting to send more birthday messages. My daughter makes fun of me because I like to be a busy lady, which is true. I like a fun project. So please, please, please join the Patreon at the $10 a month level. It's pounds, but I don't really care. Also join at any level. I don't really give a shit. To help me find more to do. I am an elderly woman in semi-retirement. I need something to liven up my life. I think your mom doesn't understand that dollars aren't the currency of the world. Oh my God, I know. It's like when she tried to buy Jean a Paddington doll and then said to the men in the store, and how much is that in dollars? Also this week, Tom thinks we should watch Haunted Mansion or Hereditary. Interestingly, my problem with both of these films, sorry to be so difficult about this, is Haunted Mansion, I could be I feel like it might be a little funny scary, which I don't love. And Hereditary, I saw a clip of it and it put the poison in a big time. But but thank you. Bonnie thinks we should watch Documentary Now. I keep meaning to watch that. It's such a good cast. And so many people have told me I love it and it's really funny. But for, for some reason, I've never got around to it. Maybe it should be someone's quickie quick for next week. Gillian thinks we should watch a miniseries called I Have Nothing starring Canadian sketch comic Carolyn Taylor. She sent me a clip of this. What this sketch is, is a, a middle-aged woman, but she is very seriously attempting to learn a figure skating routine from like all these Olympians. Because that's always been her fantasy. It was very funny. And Selena thinks we should watch Standing Up on Netflix, which has the same showrunner as Call My Agent, and it is set in the emerging Parisian stand-up scene. And Selena thinks that this is the best presentation of stand-up that she's ever seen on screen. There we into I wonder if she's seen Mrs. Maisel. I bet there's something about that sentence that makes me go, she has and she didn't love it. Thank you for all these emails, everybody. Keep them coming. We've had a very, very nice full inbox the last couple of weeks. It brings me a lot of joy. Keep this shit going. I want to know if you thought that guy was a psychopath from that show, The Greatest Show Never Made. Any weird experiences with a clown, but only positive because we're done demonizing the clowns. And Tom, thank you, but I need more offerings on Halloween stuff, okay? The email address? Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. All right, this week, Sarah watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime Video. Has your rage spike subsided? No, but I blame myself. I think it's a deficiency in me. I watch Bodies on Netflix, and we like to watch The Greatest Show Never Made on Amazon Prime Video. Fisher Stevens like to watch Still, a Michael J. Fox movie on Apple TV+, The Deepest Breath on Netflix, and Sex Education on Netflix. Are you chilly, boys and girls? I'm chilly. I felt winter creeping in. Putting its long, cold fingers around my back. Do you attribute your love of talking about the weather to living in the UK? 
Do you know, I would love to to talk about something other than the weather as I see people out, but I want to have a, a message of universality for people. What other unifying way is there to send people out? I have, I've had an idea. What are you having for dinner tonight? We're doing this mac and cheese that's a little healthier than usual because it has some pureed sweet potato inside of it. What are you having? Are you having a cocktail with your dinner? A glass of wine, perhaps? Have you been drinking every day? Do you need to cut down? I can have a glass of wine every day, but that might be because I exercise more restraint with alcohol than you do. What are you doing? Ask yourself, is your drinking costing something other than money? Jeff learned that from a very expensive therapist who specializes in addiction. Have a wonderful week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.